Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast, season two, episode six. I'm two-time Olympian Doug Lewis, and with me is world championship medalist AJ Kitt and Hanencom winner Darren Rawls. Marco is unable to be here as he is off coaching his young American downhillers to ski super fast. Today, we are talking about the longest downhill on the circuit and the downhill that has the most interesting terrain features on the planet. From jumping off a cliff to two 90 degree turns, to skiing through a tunnel, to going upwards of 100 miles an hour. It is Vengen's two minutes, 30 second downhill called the Lauberhorn. And as our special guest, we have the second American downhiller ever to win it. He also won Kvitfeld downhill and was a member of three Olympic teams. Please welcome Kyle Rasmussen. Where are you joining us from? I am sitting at home. I just uh, got off work a little early so I could join you guys, and, and I'm thrilled. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Yeah, that's awesome to have you, Ras. We, we have guests on periodically, and uh, you're the one I'm the most excited about that we've had in the last two years. It's awesome to have an old teammate on, and I was there when you won, boy, so that was like, man, I still get kind of uh, <laughs> goosebumps when I think about it because it was such a cool day, and, and uh I can't wait to hear your, your stories about starting bib one and having to stand there all day while the whole world took shots at you. So I remember, Ras, I remember you as a young rookie coming up when I was a vet and being, I was intimidated by you because you were massive. You never talked and you had this weird scar on your chest that you said you got from a horse biting you. Is that true? <laughs> that is totally true. When I was 11 <laughs> years old working on the ranch with my grandpa, I got bit by a mare who just had a foal. And so, yes, I do have a gnarly scar on my chest from less than half a boob, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, AJ, you mentioned it, but Darren, how did Rass fit into your career, and and uh, what was he like as a teammate? Well, is a on my era, it was a three big guns: AJ, Mo, and Rass. And um, I was coming on the team, just trying to learn as much as I could and keep up with these guys. They're all skiing fast. They all had like wins under their belt at the you know most elite level, World Cup and Olympics, and and uh, it was really exciting as a young kid, joining the downhill team and um, just being around that kind of level. That level was was impressive, and that's where I wanted to be. So I had three guys to really kind of watch during training and and uh, the races, and just kind of pick up stuff from these guys and and try and mold my own program together. But yeah. I, when uh, Kyle won, I was—I remember—I was in the van over in Europe and just heard all this craziness, you know, coming across the radio. And American Kyle Rasmussen, Lauberhorn, were like, "Did they just say he won?" Mm -hmm. And it was just—it pumped us up, and we were just yelling in the van, all fired up, you know. And and that was, uh, yeah, I mean, that that was one vivid memory I have from from like being over in Europe and and before I made the team at that yeah. level on the World Cup side. So Kyle, let's just jump into Vengen, 1995. Tell us about that run, and did you know it was fast? So I felt like I had a good run. It was it was an interesting year. We were having we were doubling up downhills at every venue. It was a it was an odd snow year, like you quite often get. And we had just come. I knew I was skiing good, but we had just come from Kitzbühel. I think we had a double at Kitzbühel, and um, they used to do Kitzbühel before Vengen, and I had. Just things were just derailing. I don't know what was going on. I was having troubles. Um, 
I had a pre-release of Kids Fuel on the style hung and managed to ski out of it without wrecking and then finished like 54th. And I'm like, where, where is this going? I don't know what's going on. I felt like I was skiing the best I've ever skied. Went to Vengen for a double. And the first race on Friday, I was 10th. Felt good about my performance. You know, top 10, that's good. Snows overnight, draw bib one. So I moved, by getting 10th, I moved into the draw I believe I was outside the top 30. I moved into the draw and went all the way to one. Terrible draw number for Easy. overnight snow. <laughs> and when I looked at the course in the morning, it was perfectly groomed corduroy like I would ski here in California. Soft as can be. There was no injection. There was no ice. And uh, I go, well, this is going to be fun. I can do this. And uh, that was kind of the goal for the day was to just kind of go ski as clean as I can, be as light as I could on the edges and have as much fun as possible. And that's kind of important on that course. And um, ironically, I was just as fast that day as I was the day before. And the course was substantially slower. So I had an idea that it was a good run, but it was a long way. AJ, were so, you in that race? Yeah, I was in that race. I don't even remember what number I ran, but I do remember knowing that Kyle was at the bottom in the lead. Um, and I do remember, you know, 90, this is 95. I mean, I had, you know, we had some good results that year as a team, you know, we were like, we were on the podium a lot, him and Tommy and me. And, and I, my, my big thing in my career that never happened, but I really wanted it to, which we kind of experienced last week with the ladies was I wanted to share a podium with a teammate and I wanted to take that another step and sweep, right. I wanted to sweep a European podium, with all Americans. To me, that would have been like, planting the flag, you know, right, right on the top of the mountain. And, uh, and, and every week that year, it felt like we could do it. And, and, you know, um, that hearing that he was on, that he was leading the race was, I'm like, okay, this is a great chance for us to do this. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out for me, <laughs> but, you know, like we talked about this at the beginning or, or before we started recording Lou, I mean, I didn't ever have any good results at Vang and it's just a course I could never really, unwind in my head like figure out the rhythm and it, you know you get going really fast they shut you down for some turns and a jump you get going really fast again and shut it down and I just never found the rhythm at Vang and it just never really clicked with me and, and the, my, my style of thinking about about it all but um, it was sure fun to be there that day and watch watch Kyle win that race and and uh, it's always it's always fun when the Americans you know go to a big one like that like you know Darren when you won Kitzbühel um, you know, my, my win in Val d'Isere wasn't as impactful because it was just Val d'Isere, but you know, when a, you're, when an American goes and wins the Lauberhorn or the Haunted Com or some of these other big, um, you know, the big five races, uh, the big you know, classics, it's, it's a big deal. And, and I, you know, the, most of European fans really appreciate the sport and they appreciate athletes that do well. They don't care if they're American or Norwegian or European or whatever. And uh, I, there was, a, I think that was a, that was a big day for us. It was a big day. I think a lot of Euros really liked the fact that we're broadening, you know, that day we broadened the, the scope of, of who's competitive in, in the world of downhill. And um, that was a, that was a huge freaking day, man. Yeah. Obviously with those conditions and, and, and how it played out that day, I really didn't think it would hold. I really didn't. Yeah. And um it shouldn't have. I mean, to no, be honest, really though, have. In, how many races have you been in where you ran first and it felt okay. And it just like, right, right. You know. Exactly. Uh, and, 
and I believe um, Werner Franz, who ended up second in that race, started bib three, and I, I only beat him by like five hundredths. And I thought, well, obviously, I'm not going to win the race, you know, because he wasn't one of the big powerhouses of the Austrian team at that point. And um, um, funny story about that is a couple of years earlier in the Europa Cup there, when I started figuring Vengen out, Werner Franz won and I was second. And then a few years later in the World Cup, I won and he was second. And I had to remind him of that on the podium that day. You won the better race, that's for sure. That's right. That's right. Vengen's typically like a noon start, you know, pretty late and you get a lot of sun. And with that new snow, do you think that was um, that slowed some guys down the top? Did you, what was kind of like the split they were coming out? Were you did you have a good lead at the top, or did you make up time in the middle, or or um, where'd you win it? I actually won it in, uh, in in the S turn at the at the bottom. Um, no, I don't think I had the fastest split off the top because it, it got a little glaze going up there, and it got faster and faster. But I just had untracked all the way through. And what was going on is, is once you come into the Hoonshaft and it started breaking down and those guys were dealing with some, some ruts and I didn't, I just had corduroy the entire course. I was able to literally carve every single turn down that whole course, even the road, I think I carved that day. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like ridiculously easy is what it felt like. But I think Tommy ran 10 that day. I want to say he was bib 10. And he came down, he had no idea I was in the lead. He didn't like to pay attention to that stuff at the start. And he did a double take at the finish. And then he came over and high fives and says, Rash, you got it. The course is trashed. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of how it went. You know, the Armin Assinger, I think was bib, I want to say 13. And he was way ahead coming into the S turn, not way ahead, but like four tenths, quite a bit going into the S turns right at the bottom at like the two minute 10 point. And ends up third, like 1300s behind or something like that. So I, I uh, definitely got him on the bottom. And that was, that made me feel good because that was, that's kind of the key to that course is whether you're strong enough to handle those last couple turns. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have fuel in the tank and just, it's, it's one of those sections where everybody's tired, you're fighting through it. But I mean, it's like that, just, you gotta have that grit and just and bear down. And I remember that was kind of like a, deciding factor for me too um I, I had a little bit of lead and i was able to stretch it open a little bit more at the bottom because i just ripped those like last two turns and those yeah. are i mean when you hit those just right it feels so good but obviously you had those turning skills and and um yeah like at the top being glazed those guys are getting a little advantage being a little faster but right. well skied in the rest of the way which is awesome and yeah, it felt good. That's for sure. Right behind you, just so everybody else knows, you got the Vengen specials, right? The downhill right. board you won on that day. Right. Curtis Bach has got them uh, numbered, the 2095 Vengen specials right there. <laughs> and um, ironically, they're the same skis I had at Kivitville. No way. They work there too. And that was another double downhill. That's right. Double downhill. The first one, if we, you guys remember, got canceled. Um, and then we restarted and went for a second run and won that one. That was the makeup. That race, I think you won in Quiffield was the makeup for the Aspen race that I won that was canceled like two weeks earlier. Right. I, I think what happened is the first race uh, in Van- or in Kivitville, uh, Paratoner was winning and, we, and it got postponed because of fog and we protested because they canceled 
Aspen on you. So we got it thrown out and then we restarted for a second race, which was the Commitville race. And that's the one I won. So he needs to give you the the trophy then, AJ. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hey, so Ras, correct me if I'm wrong here, but here's a little you know, behind the scenes story. And I, I hear this from Egan. Every time we start talking about Vangan and Rass's, you know, climb to the top of, of the world of downhill, the story goes like this, that, you know, you went all these years racing and, you know, started complaining in the off season that year before about, you know, not really being able to focus real well on the snow. And you went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor's like, your vision sucks. You need glasses. <laughs> and they gave you contact lenses and you went out and won your first world cup race. Is that right? How close am I? That could be pretty accurate. I, I didn't realize <laughs> how blind I was. And uh, <laughs> but I also didn't realize how difficult it was to ski with contacts. Well, that caused yeah, some yeah. problems in itself, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, it was amazing when you can see things, how well <laughs> you can, you know, cut through it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. How, fa- how fast you can ski. Right. And you can see where you're going. So right. I, I'm interested. I know AJ is a is a strong skier. He loves the gliding. You know, that's his strength. D money. He's a smaller guy, but so it's all about attack and aggression. Ras, right. what were what were your strengths? Like describe yourself as a downhiller. And if you're not gonna do it, I'll ask these guys. Like yeah. He was damn powerful, that's for sure. <laughs> the power was I, on your side, man. Right. I think I developed some some pretty darn good um, gliding skills. I was always kind of a stiff guy. I was, I was bigger, but I, I couldn't get in a super low bully like some of these guys. But I did find what was fast for me, and I, could, I learned how to glide really well. And I grew up pretty strong in the technical side, so I could turn too. But I had that darn stiff back. So I would I skied kind of stiff and couldn't get in a in a great tuck. But I would I would say I would describe myself as as a, as a powerful big downhiller with kind of rounded skills. With great touch, obviously you uh, mentioned that you know come from California skiing at Bear Valley with soft snow and and that day being fresh snow and banging. Yeah. Also, I just remember like just how strong you stood on that ski. I mean, you right. created so much force, you know, and I mean, yeah, you had some weight, but you're really strong and you're able to kind of bend those, those big uh, Solomon downhill boards and, and get two by fours behind me there, <laughs> get, get some, <laughs> like uh, some rebounds, some acceleration out of them. Right. Like, that was you a know, good package for sure. That's definitely true. And the soft snow was, was my forte. And I, uh, I wasn't great on the ice and the injected uh, snow they do nowadays. That was always hard for me. But uh, when we had those soft conditions, and I, I definitely excelled. Hey, Doug Lewis here. If you've ever dreamed of traveling to Vengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, then the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Lauberhorn, Hanenkam, and Night Slalom in Schladming. This year, American downhiller AJ Kidd is leading the group to Kitzbühel, and they have a ton of special access to the races, parties, and athletes that make this World Cup unique among all professional sports. Even though this year's trips are both sold out, now, right now, is the perfect time to get your name on the list for next year's trips. Visit adlskiclub.com. That's adlskiclub.com, and reach out to them to secure your spot. 
Rumor has it that I might even be joining them for one of these trips soon. So there's so much to this course, as I, as we all know. Um, let's start with you, Ras. Let's talk about your favorite spot, your favorite spot, and why. And then we'll just go around and try to make sure that we hit all the crazy spots of this Vengen course. But what's what's your favorite? Um, the whole course, really. To be honest <laughs> with you, it's it's so long. You have to get in a different frame of mind, really, for this course. And and it took a long time to figure that out. Um, cause you, you, you gotta, I mean, obviously you're going hundred percent the whole way down, but when you go 2.7 miles, you better have something left in the tank at the bottom, or you're really going to be hurting. And, um, that section from the haunting shoes down is, you know, that's kind of money down there. And, uh, you're going almost hundred miles an hour with some big sweeping turns below there and some nice terrain. And then you got these two cranker 90 degrees going into the finish when you're totally gassed out. And I would have to say that that was, that's like the spot that stands out to me in that course. The, uh, the, the road, the S turn below the haunting shoes or uh, below the, the Hoonshaft. Um, that was, that was obviously a very unique to Vengen thing where you're going 70 to 20 and then back up to 70, 15 seconds later. And that was, that's what makes you, uh, banging pretty unique as well so for me i hated the top 45 seconds because i wasn't a great great glider i wasn't very heavy so it started right above the shoot the hoon shop for me ripping that left footer gearing up for the hoon shop which is just a cliff and when i ran it you wanted to be far right so you just clipped that pole i don't know why if it was set maybe differently but you just aim for that pole and they had these little uh like little fluffy flags on it. So if you were that close, you would just hit it. Bigger flight, but somehow uh, straighter. Land over the Mitch Conte into Canadian corner. So that played to my strengths, you know, the agility and the attack. That's what I just loved. And it was like nonstop. It, it was just amazing. The elevator shaft of the Hunchop. Yeah, just thinking about that course right now, it gives me anxiety. I, I, to be honest, I just... <laughs> Like I always say, I've never figured that one out and, it, and I still have anxiety about it because it was really the only place I just knew going in. I was not, I had no chance. Um, and, and that's just why Lou, like you talk about, like, you know, you, you're ripping down the top 30 or 40 seconds into that, you know, that giant left footer above, above Hoonshop. And you just, I just feel the speed going <laughs> away and I'm like, no, you know, and then it's, to, you know, trying to bend those old skis, you know, there's no way you could do it. So you just like step over on your right foot and wait till you drop off the hoonshot, but then it accelerates again. You got that really fun, you know, jump, land, turn around Canadian corner, you get ripping again, and then it all happens all over again. You shut it down in the current and S turns and you got to pick up the speed again. So that to me, that's what I think about when I think of Vengen is, is that series of, of rhythm changes throughout the course of, you know, above Hoonshop, through that, through S-turns and under the tunnel. Um, everything else to me was like, I mean, from the bottom, down the bottom there, I guess, you know, I, I, you know, Hanig Schusen down to the bottom and those bottom turns didn't present as much problem to me in the top section was just a, you know, sort of regular stuff, but it's just that middle minute that I hated. <laughs> <laughs> D money, what stood out for you? Maybe how did you win it on your run? Where? Well, before I even showed up to Vanga the first time, I I was pretty much, you know, counting myself out. 
um, just because everybody told me like, this is a big downhillers course. It's a lot of gliding. You're not going to have a chance. It's like not going to be one of their, your, uh, you know, tracks you can excel at. And um, I was like, man, this is like one of those classics. I need to figure it out. So I was kind of going in there like, what can I find that I can play to my strengths there? And, and you know what? Just, uh, I mean, I love just the atmosphere, the whole, I mean, it's a hassle going up to that start, right? You know, you get on the train, you got to take a lift and um, it takes a long time, but it's like, I would just kind of embrace that whole experience and then really just being around, just seeing that Iger and just like just the massive mountains around there. I kind of somewhat harness some energy from, from just like the natural surroundings, but come out of the start gate, like I looked at that left footer, like the first turn, I mean, you get out of the gate and you start as hard as you can and get, try and get the speed up. And then you just, it's a straight shot to this big, long left footer. And I was like, you know what, if I can trim a little line here and hit this just right, where it's like one of those big pendulum turns where you, you take all the speed out the turn, if I could ski that better than anybody else, I'll have a little bit of a chance on the top flat. And, um, I kind of really focused on that section up there because I felt like if I was within about five tenths when I'm at the Hoonshaft, I had a good chance of, of like, you know, out skiing the rest of the guys from there down. And, um, and that's kind of where I, you know, was that one day I won. And I think it's just, it's so unique. It has like all those elements of like gliding, some big jumps, like even that top jump where you see all those like really cool side angles of just banging in the background. You're like in the air, you know, it's like a big drop off there and you see the town down below you. But that was some good flight. And then, you know, Lou about that um, <clears throat> coming off the Hoonshaft, like I kind of looked at that line too, more direct on the right side. It's bigger drop, but it's more direct, you know, to come back as much. And to me, I'm always trying to find ways to cut down the line and um, using a bunch of those like tactics, you know, on that course. And, and uh, the one thing that really stood out my uh, winning race run was, coming down that track at our Canadian quarter, you know, Hunchoff, Minchikante, Canadian corner and going by that fence. And it's like, it's like an F one track. You're just flying by this thing. Your shoulders like rubbing up against that. And I was like trying to get the timing just right where I could nail that panel on the corner of the bank. And if I had that, like I was in a tight line, I could get my right foot again early and take all that speed down around the corner into that, um, into the, the train tunnel um and on race day i was just basically committed i'm just it was one of those brave heart moments where you're like hold 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 and go you know with everything you had and i slammed that that gate and um just was on fire and that was kind of one of those things i had in my mind and if i do that i just thought like then i had like a ton of speed for that next middle section like we always thought because ras when he, you won bud you were shooting through that tunnel and the train was going over the top of you right right we always nice. thought that, like, you know, if the train's going over the top, then you're, you're Good luck. You got some little extra luck there, some extra speed or whatever. <laughs> and, and I remember, like, in that race run, looking for that train, I was like, damn it, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> That's but cool. I, I mean, I just feel like it was, it was one of those things, like, whoever's got that train over the top, it's just a little extra, you know, bonus. That is one of the most unique pieces of downhill in any race, you know, the the Kernan S, I think they used to call it the water station before Bruno Kernan splatted himself into it and they renamed it for him. But I would always come out of there on the bank and, you know, I'm running over 
I'm running over treetops, you know, buried pine trees. And I'm just like, oh God, that's how I gauge how bad my, my, I ran that section was how many trees I had to run over to get back on core. But then you take, you know, you take that next right and you drop down under the train tunnel. And I mean, you can't talk about Vangen without at least giving a shout out to the old movie, The Downhill Racer from the 60s. And we all know Joe J. Jalbert, the consummate, you know, ski film uh, professional. And, you know, he was a stunt guy in that movie back in the 60s. And his other, you know, partner that was a stunt guy was Eddie Waldberger, who was the tuner for myself and for Darren and, and a few others. Um, and, and people that watch that will see that the skier in the movie crashes and runs into the side of the train tunnel. And that was, I think that was Eddie, right? Doing that stunt. Um, yeah, so, Eddie got another hundred Swiss francs for that yeah. crash into the <laughs> yeah, tunnel so, wall. That was yeah, his story. Going, going to Bangin's, you know, it's always fun for reasons like that. But, you know, anybody that's listening, that's a great, fun movie to, to watch from back in the day, Robert Redford. And uh, it's got a lot of history because the, the people that were in that movie carried forward and were part of the sport for a really long time. You know, as rad was uh, that whole season leading uh, the, the off season leading up to that last year of mine, oh six when I won. Um, I was watching that downhill racer oh, like yeah. weekly at the end of the the season. Michelle and I went on a little vacation, thinking come back from Costa Rica and had all these miles, you know, stacked up. So we're flying first class, and in the row in front of me is Robert Redford, and he's reading this fat yeah. script. And I was like, oh, man, I was just sweating it. I'm like, I gotta like introduce myself and say hello to this guy. And, um, you know, I finally got the courage when we were getting up and leaving the plane. And I told him that, like, basically his role in Downhill Racer was my life, you know, like, just like, that's what I was, I was doing. And, and he knew, like, it was incredible. Like, either has a photographic memory or it made a huge impression on him. But he was talking about the post hotel where we stayed, you know, the U.S. ski team stayed. Wow. He was, like, asking about, um, you know, just – you know, talking about the train ride up there and how cool it is to be like racing under the Iger and he touched on Kitzbühel. I mean, we had like about like a five minute conversation, like hanging out and I'm walking off the plane. And I thought that was, was so cool. And Wend produces a sophisticated line of ski and snowboard waxes for use by skiers, riders, racers, and shops. The current Wend snow wax formulations have come from over 50 years of progressive blend reformulation and on-slope and in-lab testing. This has been in conjunction with the feedback of some of the world's top ski and snowboard athletes. Athletes who know real speed, like Kitzbühel champ Darren Rolfs and 2019 Birds of Prey GS champion Tommy Ford. When no longer sells any products containing fluorocarbon compounds and instead utilizes natural, plant-derived and or biodegradable additives that substantially increase the overall eco-friendliness of the Wend Snow Wax product line. Give Wend a follow on Instagram at Wend Waxworks and purchase your Wend products at wendperformance.com. And don't forget to use the code ADH20 for 20% off your purchase. So 1984, no American had ever won a downhill and Bill shocked the world snowing. He goes off the course and the Austrian hole comes back on, comes through the finish, just silence, like shocked the world. Um, I came down, I, I had a top 20 and that qualified me for the Olympics. So again, it meant a lot to me, but to be part of that when Bill shocked the world was amazing. And he just started 
pissing everybody off, especially the Austrians and Swiss. So it was awesome for me to be a part of that. And we partied hard at the post hotel, uh, at the post hotel. Ras, you come through, you have to wait for the entire race. What was the party like? What was the crowd reception like? And, and what went on the rest of that day? It was it was awesome. It was totally awesome, to be honest with you. And, and it was a very, very long wait. I sat down there for a long time and uh, and it started looking pretty good, like 20 racers in or something looking like this might happen. Do you remember when you finally relaxed and felt like oh, I wanted or did you wait for everybody to come down? I think they started kind of celebrating about bib 30. Like, you know, like you, the cameras were there. Well, the cameras are kind of around me the whole time, but like, this is kind of it, you know, you got it. But I had to wait for the race to be over for any celebrations. Yeah. And I think we did our thing in the finish. I have at least have photos of all that, I remember. But I remember I had to go to a press conference for the first time. I'd never been on the podium. So uh, that was a big deal. And I, I said, I'm not going to go drink i'm not gonna do anything i'm gonna be super professional you know to do the whole thing and i did went through the whole press conference and i think it was like 6 p.m by the time i get back to the hotel come rolling in these guys are at the the post hotel hotel there and they're pretty loose already <laughs> and we're getting ready to eat dinner and literally like a 16 ounce glass of jack daniels gets sit down right at my where i'm sitting and i'm like oh no <laughs> and that was kind of the start of a pretty awesome night did we have a slalom the next day? usually it's slalom right it's combined and we would always race in that but oh god i used to always race in those and we were i was always hung over and it was horrible I'm sure i'm horrible. sure we I skipped it my worst wrecks were by far in slalom yeah. <laughs> Terrible. for all of us man jeez Back to that day that you won in Bangin, and I'll tell you tell a funny story because it's kind of uh, it's it's a great look inside of the culture that we had going back then. But Tommy Moe's dad, Tom Senior, was there to watch the races. Uh, he would always come someplace every year and watch. And after you know doing the the standard partying after your teammate wins. I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. I went to bed and had enough. And my bed was right next to these, these French doors that opened up from my head, little balcony on the outside of my room. And I don't know what time it was, three o'clock or whatever. And those doors kick open with a big boom. And that wakes me up. And there's Tom senior standing over my bed with one arm inside of his jacket, looking around like this, like they're after me, they're after me. And he pulls this big giant banner out that he had helped himself to over the uh, down in town. And I think he shoved it either under my bed or Tommy's bed. I think Tommy was in the, in the bed next to me and you were in the other room, but um, Tom thought, Tom thought the cops were after him and he <laughs> climbed, <laughs> climbed like Rapunzel up to the second story balcony to our room, broke himself in, hid the banner and then he disappeared. And I never saw him again. I didn't see him the next morning. <laughs> I just know that that banner appeared in our room the next day. So wow. that was pretty cool. And tell us where that banner is now, Rast. That banner is with my son and his family out in Utah. And he, uh, his wife had it made into a, a curtain. And it's in uh, my grandson's room. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. So uh, standing on the podium with Zerbergen and Mueller, Everybody hated Mueller, and including me, so I didn't really bond with him. But Zerbergen and I 
because we're on the, we shared that podium, we're still friends today. Darren, I know you have friends all over, but uh, Ras and AJ, any uh, European racers that you connected with either on a podium or something that you that you that you bonded with and they were good friends? I don't keep in touch with with any of them. I kind of do my own thing here in the ranch and whatnot. I've kind of always been that way, but um, I think I bonded with quite a few of the guys after the World Cup that were on the 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 downhill series, right? The Jeep King of the Mountain and the Ford downhill series, and and uh, Luke Alphon and Jean Luc Cretier, you know, great guys, and had some epic battles with Daniel Marr learned to be pretty good friends with him he was like the most competitive guy I've ever met in my life and uh and it, it was a ton of fun and, and it got to see these guys and, and compete against them in a totally different perspective hey Doug Lewis here and I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com, for all specific camp dates. Rass, uh, and I know you probably don't know a lot of the young downhillers, but what's the pick one piece of advice you would give you know, a, a 19, 23 year old American who's, you know, going over to Europe for the first time and starting to learn the downhills, what advice do you give the young American downhillers? You know, the world cup tour, it's, it's tough and it, and you gotta, you gotta pay your dues. And, uh, I would, the, the best advice I think I could give is hang in there, you know, take the good with the bad. You're going to definitely have some bad performances and, um, don't let that get to you and, and just try to soak it all in, you know, look at these guys that are winning and, and try to feel that vibe that they're going with. And, 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 uh, you know, it might take four or five times down a course to, to truly start to figure it out. AJ. Um, I would say, you know, don't make the mistake of thinking that, that those guys, those euros that you're racing against are invincible. Don't make the mistake of thinking that they're not at least a little intimidated too, um, because after, you know, I stayed in touch with a lot of guys and I've bumped into a lot of guys in the last several years where I've been going to races and visiting as a, you know, a retired uh, ski racer and get to, you know, you get to see guys. And, and we talk to people on these shows um, and people, everybody to a guy will tell you stories about, being intimidated and like, like, uh, like, like Don Paris was saying in the, in the Bormio show, you got to respect the conditions. You got to respect certain, certain Hills. And, and that's their way of saying, you know, they're, they're a little bit intimidated or it gets their attention. And I would say that, you know, my impression going over to Europe the first time in racing was that everybody's at such a different level. And I think to, to some degree they are in the beginning because they, 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 they're, they're comfortable in Europe because that's where they're from. They're comfortable on these tracks and on these mountains because that's where they're from. 
But as Americans, we can catch up to that really quickly. And you just can't go into it with your tail between your legs. You, know, you got to go in there with your eyes wide open, learn everything you can and, um, you know, and take confidence in the little things and let that build onto something that uh, will propel you to be really fast. Awesome. Darren. Yeah. Kyle and AJ had really great points there. Um, it is, you know, there's a lot of learning to, to like pick up, you know, um, try and get comfortable over there as an American, learn how to kind of get through. I like, I like to like, you know, just not always be in race mode or ski racing mode, like to walk around towns, check out, you know, just the areas and do some free skiing. And to me, that was a way where I was trying to like really enjoy the experience. But when it came down to racing, like I was really dedicated and put a lot of time into it and focused on what, like my turning point for sure. I was, I was super intimidated by seeing these guys, these big guns, especially like Herman Meyer who, um, I mean, had any chance he had, he was trying to get in your head and just own you. But um, my turning point was where I finally focused on what I could control, believe in my program, and uh, just, like, do what I could, like, give my best effort. I totally agree with all you guys. Number one, with RAS, patience, right? It took me two years just to learn all those courses, and I finally jumped into the top 10. It could take four times. So patience. The other thing, um, which we all said is the first time I went over there, I started like 86 and I'd have a great run and I'd finished 84th, you know, and half the people, half the Americans that went over there were so bummed out and they ended up saying, this is just too hard. But for me, that, that just fired me up. Like just, okay, this is where I need to prove myself. This, this is what I need to do. I need to work even harder. So I see a lot of Americans, they go over there and they get, they face the Europeans and they have a decision to make right there. Um, are they going to just double down and work even harder? So patience and, and hard work and don't ever stop believing in yourself. All right, I'm going to move on. We're, we're running out of time. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, so Matthias Meyer, three Olympic goals, 11 World Cup victories. He just announced his retirement in Bormio. Uh, Foyt, who's going to retire this week in Vengen. He's a defending Olympic champion, world champion, six overall victories. They're retiring. And I guess, what do you think? We're all retired. What's the hardest thing that they'll face in the next year? I would in say for me, the hardest thing that, that, you know, for me was trying to figure out what my identity was after all that, you know, you spend a whole lifetime try and try and try and you know you keep climbing the ladder and you get to a point where okay this is what I've been trying to accomplish and who I have always been my whole life and then all of a sudden that's gone and it's not even a gradual progression to that change it's like overnight and you know redefining who you are is I think is the thing it's like when somebody says to you you know what's your elevator pitch right what and you bump into a stranger hey what do you do who are you man, I struggled for years to say, uh, I'm a retired, you know, whatever I could, I still don't remember what the hell, you know, it was. And, um, you know, now people ask me, who are you? What do you do? And I can talk about being a father and, you know, having kids and all that stuff. Cause that's, that's kind of what defines me now, but boy, that, that was the biggest switch for me. And I did have a really difficult time going to races and watching the guys that I used to race against and compete with watching them race. I remember at, you know, one of the first, things I did was jump into television and I was at races and interviewing people. And I'm like, I felt like I was one of them, 
but then it, I felt really out of place being the interviewer. It was just weird. That was the hardest part for me was just just re-identifying myself. I'd have to agree with you there, AJ. That was uh, it was tough when once once you leave, you're out. And uh, I had a hard time watching it. And I no no offense, Darren, but I I didn't watch a lot of your races. I got to be honest. I was I, I think there was a lot of years in there. I still felt like I could be competing, and I just checked out and just didn't even really watch I, I pay attention to results but i just would never watch a race and uh it took a long time it took 10 years i think and you got to kind of like you say figure out who you are i dove into the the cattle business and got going there and i started building houses and just keeping myself occupied got into competitive fishing um i remember 2002 they asked me to come forerun at the the Olympics. And I said, absolutely not. No way. Cause I still felt like I could ski pretty good. I'd been on the, on the pro tour and I'm like, there's no way I'm going out there before running that course. That would just eat me up. You could have shown up, shown us all up and smoked the, you know, the course and put the fastest time down. Show me back me. On the team. Show me I, I'd say this, <laughs> I have the same similar experience too. And I really didn't pay attention to any racing going on. I went back to Beaver Creek, Birds of Prey, my first year, and I came off a win there my last season. And I was on the sidelines just, like, shaking my head, like, what am I doing here? I mean, I should be in the gate. I could out-ski these guys right now. And um, But, you know, you put in perspective, like, I know how much I put into it, how much work I put into it. You can't just step in and be competitive um, at that level. It's it's tough. And um, I, I build my – kind of you know focus energy with doing some ski cross and and jumping into you know just opportunities i had for skiing they're doing some big mountain and and uh i had a blast doing that for a long time and then finally started coming back to the races and was able to kind of like give more of myself like as you know someone to i guess add add to like our at you know our teammates or not our teammates but the kids that are the athletes are on the u.s team at that point and I think a big standout moment was when all three of us were in Bangan a couple of years ago and, you know, we were loving it, soaking it up. I mean, Kyle, like we went to dinner with all kinds of guys and I guess, I mean, to reconnect with all those, you know, past Europeans that we raced against was amazing. And we're all, all three of us are hanging out. We go to the U S ski teams um, meeting, you know, prior to the uh, night of the race. And we all had something to say to our, you know, the teammates there, um, or the U.S. ski team guys there and pass on some fun stories, some knowledge and, and just showing that, you know, we're there now to support them. I'm going to these races. Like, yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy going to Beaver Creek and Bangin and Kitsfield, but, and now we have like Palisades, Tahoe, the world cup there and Aspen again. And it's so cool to be there and just show our support. And, um, I, I could just, you know, really enjoy watching racing now where as the first few years, it was tough. I think AJ, you hit it. You lose your identity for a while. Yeah. And you're right, Darren. I mean, you, I go to, I mean, I just did a little coaching stint this year. I went to the Lake Louise with, with, uh, with the ladies world cup and I'm standing there on the Hill and I'm like, I'm like pointing at, at the line and I'm telling these, these ladies, I'm like, here's your line. Right. And in my mind, I can pull that off. Like, obviously I know that I don't have the leg strength for it anymore and I'll probably get scared going that fast anymore. But 
I know the line that like, I still got it up here. There's no doubt about it. I still got it. I'm still, I can still win a world cup right here, but from here down, no way. <laughs> and that part you'll never get rid of, right? Like that part will be with you forever, which is good, but you just got to make sure that you keep a leash on that beast. Cause you don't want to find yourself going 65 on a pair of twin tips. That's when you're <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, Elite Team Fitness Camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility, with a deeper understanding about nutrition, and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including US ski teamers, Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. So, uh, Ras, do you know enough to make any picks? I do. I follow skiing okay. avidly now. So we're in Vengen. AJ has been the king of picks this year. Uh, do you want to start with your picks for Vengen? You want me to start? No, let's have Rask. Okay, good. Yeah, let him okay. start. I'll start. I will say Creekmire is going to win. He's going to double up. And Kilde is going to be second. And Foyce goes out with a bang and he gets third. Nice. Tough ones. Those are good. D money. Kyle, you just took all my guys, man. <laughs> uh, it's hard to, to like um, bet against the powerhouses for sure. And uh, I had written down kill days, one Creek Meyer, two Foyts, third. I mean, I feel like he's putting everything he possibly can in this last race and he's got points he's got skills you know and pay the bills there in Vangan. so i'm gonna go with that top three all right i'm well, mine or not i'm gonna end with you aj because you're the best last yeah so uh i'm gonna go with foyts i mean he's gonna win again on his last race it's gonna be too emotional it's gonna be awesome he is the kugel blitz i'm gonna go kilda like everyone else but i'm gonna put odermatt in there i think this guy is is too talented not to learn how to glide sorry aj Man, that's, that's good. Okay. Order Matt. So I have to say, like, looking back at last week, like we all, I think we all had Foyt somewhere in the mix and he didn't even race like that blew me away. I know he was sick and, and, and all that, but, um, but I agree with you. I gotta, I gotta pick him. I'm also, I'm also going to stick with Dom. You know, I liked our conversation with him last week. I really feel like, you know, that guy he's kind of, at the doorstep of, of kind of getting back to it, you know, um, he's got the, the, the experience. Um, it just didn't work out in Bormio, even though he said he likes the ice and the bumps, he didn't perform that well. So maybe this week he can redeem himself. And then I'm because Marco's not here, I'm going to have to be the, the one of us that, that picks an American and I'm, I'm going to go with RCS because I think it's time for RCS to be on the podium and downhill. Yeah. I, awesome. I, I think he's got a, you know, he's got our best shot of the American downhillers RCS and what fifth and Bormio. So he's riding, he's riding the, you know, a high right now as well. He's yeah. got some confidence. Odermatt will be fun. I mean, that, that course 
some parts of that course are not Odermatt style, but he might go in there and lay two fat turns in the Kernan S that nobody's ever seen before. And the game's over at that point. I mean, if he, if he punches in a couple of, a couple of arcs in there, it's game over. There's nobody's going to touch him. So the one thing that bothers me now about that coming into Karen and S now with the last few years of these guys racing, some guys like come put in like a little extra, like full check turn to kind of like set that turn up. Some come in with like a, I think Dominic pulled a full flying, like, you know, pizza yeah, wedge, right. And I was like, why are you guys, I mean, why are you giving it up anywhere? And for me, it was like, it's a little more ballsy and it's fun that he ballsy on these courses and try and just rail turns. And, and it, that's a tough one though. It yeah, kind of set things up, but what do you, what do you guys think about that? I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's definitely, he's like, you know, like he knew, he knew exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. It's an unwritten yeah. rule that you don't snow plow and downhill. I'm sorry. You're <laughs> your downhill car no. if you snow plow and downhill. So that's something I would like DQ to pull out of the race if you're doing yeah. that. No, there's no I agree. Don't agree. Yeah. There's there's no crying in baseball. There's no yeah. snow plowing in banging. Hey Ross, is there one more thing that just stands out about banging to you as being like something really unique and special? I mean, who who doesn't like the the scenery of banging? It's like it's unbelievable. I mean, just to be there and look around at the mountains is phenomenal and the, the scene the whole scene no cars it's outstanding but um that course in general just stands out in my mind because once you figure it out and not and not that many people do you got it and and i'm not exactly sure what it is that that clicked for me there but um i know kind of relaxing and finding my place to relax on that course was huge for me you know, kids build one, you get a chance to take a breath and actually, you know, think about taking a deep breath. And it, and every time I would come through the train tunnel, I would consciously take some deep breaths. I wouldn't stand up and give the legs a break or anything because, you know, you're in between camera angles. But I would take some deep breaths and kind of settle into a nice, relaxed tuck and it got some blood going again. And and that, and, and that was kind of changed it for me there. So Ras, I was the guy in training, not in race, but as soon as I went through that tunnel, I stood up because there was never any coaches <laughs> video for that next 30 seconds before Honig. So I stood up, not in race, but I got a little, that's how I breathed a little oxygen in my legs. No one's I, I, watching. Maybe I learned that from you because I remember that. Imitating camera angles, you can get a little breather. <laughs> <laughs> Only in training. Thanks for listening and watching to our American Downhiller podcast. Special thanks to Kyle Rasmussen for joining us, a true legendary American Downhiller who shocked the world winning Vengen in 1995, 11 years after Billy Johnson shocked the world and won it in 1984. Please spread the word about the podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and club. You can find us either on Spotify or Apple. And thanks to our American Downhiller sponsors, ADL Ski Club, Wend Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and American Downhillers Camps. Have a happy holidays, and coming up in the next week, we have the original king of Kitzbühel, Franz Klammer, to take us down one hell of a ride on the strife. For AJ, Darren, and Kyle, thanks for listening.